there, Marketing Sweats fans. It's Misty, and I'm back with another episode of Season 7, where we're featuring women leaders at heavy industry brands. Today, I'm joined by Keely DeWitt of GAF Energy, which is a relatively new brand launched in 2019 by Standard Industries, the world's largest roofing and waterproofing company. GAF Energy is focused on driving scalable adoption of rooftop solar, and Keeley is their VP of Marketing and Public Policy. She's a climate advocate turned clean energy executive that believes in the importance of diversity in the workplace, and I can't wait for you to meet her. So let's get to it. Okay, today I have Keely DeWitt. She is the Vice President of Marketing, Communications, and Public Policy for GIF Energy. We're excited to talk to you and, and hear all about it. Thank you for being here. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I always like to start a little bit with your story. So tell us about your background. So I've been an environmentalist and sort of a feminist for most of my life. I think I, you know, even as a kid was really interested in issues of sustainability and also of elevating women's voices, which I really kind of got from my mom and from my family. In college, I did environmental studies and science and then have a master's in rhetoric and communication. So I've always, within my career, existed this intersection of the technical and the scientific, but then also making it accessible to broader audiences. And started as an educator, started in government, kind of explored different arenas for for solving environmentally motivated problems, as well as looking at kind of broader social questions and decided that climate change and and global warming was such an urgent issue that we had to really use the tools of industry, especially large industry and infrastructure and how we get our electricity in our homes to make a real difference and wanted to really focus on deploying the technologies that are ready today, as opposed to kind of generally talking about the solutions or continuing to say, okay, well, this would be an ideal path. It's sort of like, what do we have in our toolbox right now? And how do we move forward with that as soon as possible? So tell me when you were a kid, what was it about your mom that made these environmental issues sort of run deep in you? I think it was connection with, with the natural world getting guidance and inspiration from things that are greater than than us, whether looking up at the night sky or, you know, we spent a lot of time on Lake Michigan when I was a kid in the Midwest and she grew up on the lake. And so I think there was sort of this sense of awe and wonder within it. And also thinking about the connection to human communities and how we really depend on the water, the air, the earth for our our daily activities, whether we see it or not. That's amazing that you recognize that even as a kid. So talk a little bit about going to Brown University and deciding to get your degree in environmental studies. It felt a little bit like a risky decision at the time. You know, I thought I should do something more traditional. I mean, Brown is not the most traditional school, right? There's the open curriculum and you can kind of chart your own path. You know, I sort of thought, oh, I should do engineering or I I should do even a, a more recognized humanities path or maybe psychology or something that's a little bit more legible. But ultimately decided that where my heart really lay, even though it was less of a popular major, you know, like we had a very small cohort at the time, as I understand it, environmental science and studies has exploded more in interest and in, in the number of students who are pursuing that path. But it was really about following where my passion lay, not really knowing what it would translate into in my career. It's interesting. 
So coming out of school with that degree, walk us through your career journey a little bit before we land at GAF. Yeah, I actually started working for the um, the largest environmental nonprofit in Rhode Island um, called Save the Bay, Narragansett Bay, and was um, an environmental educator on one of their vessels. So spent a lot of time outside in, That's so cool. in the bay working with kids and all the way to like graduate students, showing them the, the wonders of, of the bay and getting them more connected to the place where we lived. That's awesome. And then from there, I went into state government and so worked on health and environmental policy programs. You know, I've always had an interest in my dad is a physician too. So going back to the family ties, right? Looking at the public health and, and impacts of, of policy decisions on how what people have access to what care, especially if they have long-term chronic conditions and issues that they're managing. And I um was also involved in some environmental health initiatives there. From there, decided to go and work in in solar, essentially. Did a brief stint in an environmental nonprofit again that aggregated solar renewable energy certificates for this kind of wonky thing, but you could there are these credits that you generate when you actually generate the electricity and you could, those are tradable credits and you can actually purchase them and say, I helped add more renewable energy to the grid. So we aggregated those and sold them to residential customers for a little bit of an upcharge on their bill. And then from there got connected to the, the largest residential installer of solar in the Northeast. It was their head of marketing. It was a little bit of a wild ride there. I started as an executive assistant and three months later was the head of marketing and was kind of like, what the heck is going on? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so you didn't have a marketing background, but you stepped no. into a marketing role. What did that look like? I joked with a friend years later, it looked like me very rapidly kind of being faced out in the mud, if I'm if I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> sure. Totally you know, understand I, that. I, yeah. I'd love to say that it was this like triumphant moment of like, I definitely learned a lot, but I, I, think, I, I think I got a little bit ahead of my skis in some ways and uh, was responsible for things, especially on the fiduciary side of the business that I like really felt like I was just a punk kid and didn't have any right yeah. to have responsibility. Those are some of the best places to learn though. And I imagine your, tr- your, your teaching background and your communications ability. I mean, you probably plugged right in. So yeah. Yeah, I think you're underselling I mean, I yourself managed there. Managed the rebrand within the company and was able, you know, was able to like get some really good stuff done and made some really powerful connections, including to Lynn Durich and Leslie Beatty at Sunrun. I helped launch their product through our company because they had a channel model in Massachusetts, and so it was really interesting getting on phone calls with them and having it be, I think, virtually all women on the calls. And I was like. Where's this this massive solar company where there are so many women at the helm? Because at the time, the company was 100 women. Where I was, was 100 women and four men. Wow, that's crazy. That That's different than a lot of the people that I've talked to today. So we'll have to dig into that a little bit more. Talk a little bit about GAF as a company now and your role within it today. So GAF is actually the largest roofing and waterproofing manufacturer in North America. Given the conversations you have and kind of the industrial bent to your work, I'm sure you've heard of them and you talk to a lot of people who, when I mention the name GAF, if I'm talking to any kind of general contractor or roofing contractor, their eyes light up immediately, right? They they know the company. It's sort of one of their main brands and it's it's very venerable, revered. 
So we actually spun out of GAF as GAF Energy in 2019. Our separate operating company has been in existence for about four years at this point, but we go to market through the certified contractors on the GAF side. So we had all of these solar folks who were hired on the energy side to create more of an innovative product and then essentially plug it into the GAF infrastructure. Sure. So for someone listening who might not know much about the solar industry, give us a little background on kind of why this is taking off, how it compares to other energy sources, that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. I think the biggest thing at this point, and the time that I've been in the solar industry and the residential solar industry, costs have come down about 90% for the equipment. And so like other sort of semiconductor materials, you see this dramatic cost reduction curve as manufacturing increases as, you know, it's sort of economies of scale. But I think it's particularly salient for this kind of technology. And so, you know, on both the industrial and even on the residential scale, solar is increasingly cost competitive with more quote unquote traditional forms of electricity, meaning fossil fuels, generally speaking. Because it is more affordable, it's become more accessible. And as a renewable source of of energy, it's just, in some ways, it's just a cooler way to power your home. I mean, no pun intended, right, with global warming, but just like the fact that the sun can hit the cell and generate electricity, it just never ceases to amaze me. You know, even in my neighborhood, I've noticed how many more people have solar panels and things like this. So is that not only due to the cost, but tell me about your contractors. Have you had to grow your contractor base or how do you get your product to market? Yeah, I, I think on the the more traditional like rooftop solar side of things within residential solar, there are I don't know what the the percentage growth is exactly of of contractors who are just solar contractors, but I, I do think I, I would speculate that the growth has been exponential. And like as the cost is coming down, you see sort of a a related increase in the number of businesses who are, that are being founded to manage the technology, the sales of the installation of it. For us, it's a really interesting, at this point in time, a really interesting challenge of almost converting roofing contractors into solar contractors and having them learn how to adopt this technology that they all kind of heard about, right, as more solar panels go on roofs, more roofers are encountering solar and they're asking questions about it and like, what, you know, do I need to worry about this? Should I be offering it? Is it a way for me to make more money and better serve my customers? And so for us, we really... We offer services so the roofers don't have to like actually become like they don't need to hire electricians. They don't need to deal with the permitting and the design. We do all of that, like kind of the solar complexity part of it. And we we created a product that is a nailable solar shingle. So it, so it installs just like a regular roofing shingle. So we're trying to make that conversion and the adoption of solar really simple and straightforward for them and having a lot of empathy and, and kind of using design thinking and centering the roofer in the middle of of this technological innovation so they can then insert solar into their normal course of business, whether it comes to the sale at the kitchen table or the roof going on top of the house. Absolutely. I love listening to you talk because in all the heavy industry field that we work in here at Samantha, the idea of you know, sustainability comes through as sort of an ancillary idea or service offering from the companies that we work with. Given that you've spent most of your career in these spaces, I mean, what are some of your goals in driving sustainability forward in your organization? I think making it routine, you know, making it just kind of part of the way that 
that we live. I mean, when, you know, it's interesting, one of the reasons why I think our company exists, if we're really honest with ourselves, is the fact that Tesla created a solar roof in like 2015, 2016. And Elon Musk started talking about how in 10 years time, you know, he got up on a stage and with all of his showmanship and said, in 10 years time, when you replace a roof, you're going to get a solar roof. And I think people in the roofing industry sort of took heed and said, well, look what he did on the automotive side. You know, is this something that we have to really consider? I love that core concept of when you're considering a roof replacement, that getting a solar roof replacement is just one of the options you consider and is hopefully the best option, right? Because when you put solar on your roof, you get the the electricity benefits, it reduces your electric bill. We've made something that we think is aesthetically really nice and functions just like a regular GAF roof. And so it becomes very easy to make that choice. And I think that's something that I'm really like, I've really worked to center of like, how do you, how do you do this at scale? And the way you do that at scale is by, by making it something that is, you know, it almost feels like a not a joyful choice, but like it, you know, you, you really center the consumer within it and make it a frictionless process as much as possible. I was talking to a female engineer for the podcast the other day, and she was working in the oil and gas industry. And she talked about how cool it is to think about all the different energy sources and how our industry is evolving, which creates great pathway for her career to go many different directions. So I love diving in specifically with you to solar. Talk a little bit about what it's like to work at GAF as a company. And what is it specifically about your role that you enjoy the most? Working at GAF as a company is it's a great place so many good people. I think it's lovely to be part of an industry or part of a company that has been the leader in the industry for a long time. You know, it sort of creates a certain kind of ballast for us. I think within new technologies and trying to diffuse innovation and and drive change and quote unquote disruption, it can often feel like the David versus the Goliath. And I think for us, it's kind of like David and Goliath teamed up (laughs) and decided to tackle the problem together culturally and the resources we have and kind of the, the brain trust that we have access to is truly remarkable. Our energy team within the broader family of companies is such a creative, dedicated group of individuals. I can tell that by the way you're thinking about it, you know, even talking about things like design thinking and your whole customer experience, it's got to be a really fun job. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned working with mostly women, though. So talk about that a little bit in terms of the company culture today. Yeah, well, it was so that was Sunrun. And there were two founders of Sunrun, Lynn Jurich and Ed Fenster. I really attribute the high number of women in the ranks at Sunrun to the fact that there was a female founder as as part mm-hmm. of that process. And in working there, worked there for about three and a half, four years, the gender ratio was pretty close to 50%, which was unusual for companies in the space. And I really do think, you know, we talk so much about how different approaches to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how representation matters and leadership matters. And I think seeing Lynn in the position that she was in and just the way that she approached the work resulted in more women and in, in kind of mid-management and then kind of rank and file within the company in general. And I, and at the time, I you know I kind of knew how unusual that was, but but didn't fully, but and but did actively seek out that company as I mentioned earlier as a woman because it seemed like okay here's somewhere where I can learn and there are other people who look like me and you just have more access. 
Absolutely. Well, it's good to know that early experience because one of my questions that I've been asking folks is when you think back over the course of your career and think about two or three things that maybe distinctly stand out for you in terms of how you think or execute or lead or operate because of working in traditionally male-dominated fields, what comes to mind for you knowing, you know, maybe where you are today, but then also having those early experiences being led by strong female leaders? I mean, I think mentorship is absolutely critical, whether it's from a man or from a woman. I think that that having someone you can go to to talk about a wide range of issues, including gender issues, you know, having it be kind of a safe space in that way. So like you can ask various business operational questions, but like kind of about the what, but then also the questions of the how and the who's doing which roles and that kind of thing. So kind of having that mentorship and having that bleed over into sponsorship to people who are maybe a little bit up in the hierarchy from you and can help encourage you. And especially in moments where you're having having doubts or big questions or dealing with thornier issues, that has been really, really critical for me. Was there ever a time in your career where you did look around and be like, wow, I'm one of the only females in the room? Or did that sort of hit home at a young age? Yeah, that first company, the one, the first solar company where it was 100 men and four women, that definitely, because I had come from the nonprofit sector and from government area where there tended to be a little bit more of a, of a gender balance for whatever set of reasons in the public sector, a little bit more kind of awareness and in moving into roofing, to be honest, you know, I think within the solar industry, it's like 20 to 30% female as far as the workforce. I was looking at some statistics the other day that said something like 4% within the roofing industry in general. You know, so I've been in ballrooms in the past few years of my career where it's probably 80 to 90% men. And that kind of is what it is. But at the same time, it, you feel something about that, right? You can't help it, but notice and have some questions about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I've been in situations like that too. So tell me, what is GAF doing to develop some of these DEI programs um, targeting women or any employee resource groups, things like that? Our parent company has really leaned into this since 2020. We have an inclusion and diversity working group that I sit on that's led by the chief administrative officer. So in that standard industries, and they've they've organized various different DEI leaders within the companies to share best practices. The larger manufacturing company, GAF, does have employee resource groups that host various events. As does standard, the, the whole company, they have a women's network and sort of a global women's network that they plug people from the operating companies into but GF Energy ourselves, you know, it's interesting. We have, we actually have a very diverse leadership team. There are three women, two BIPOC men, and then the head of our company is is a, is a vet. Everybody's opinion is there at the table. We don't, those things I'm describing were not deliberate. It wasn't something that we sort of in hiring looked for. We we're just kind of looking for the best people for the job and the folks who seem to be able to, to carry the mission forward. It's just this kind of happy accident of who joined and the timing of, of hiring and the ways that people performed within the company as far as 
coming up and getting promoted. It's a wonderful group of people, independent of any kind of demographic or, or diverse information. But I, you know, there is a lot of research that says that well-managed diverse teams tend to outperform more homogenous teams, regardless of who that homogeneity is made of, right? And so I, I think that we're just really fortunate that we have these diversity of backgrounds in a, in a number of, of different ways. And, and that includes education level and where people went to school. And, you know, I mean, it's just like we have a great strength of voices and perspectives that I, I think really helped enable us to be successful. That's so cool. And working in a creative industry myself, led by a lot of women, I find that culture of just innovation is sort of baked in and you can challenge each other and, and look at it from different angles. I noticed a couple of weeks ago that you posted a talk on LinkedIn, Fueling Innovation with DEI. It sounds like you get asked to speak on this topic a lot. And you mentioned out of the gate, it's near and dear to your heart. But tell us more about that. What is it specifically that drives you in this space and maybe some of the themes that you like to talk about? Well, the gender piece, for sure, and encouraging female leadership, women's empowerment, elevating women's voices within the workplace. I think for me, it also kind of comes from, you know, I identify as a, as a queer woman, too. And so bringing that element in, oftentimes feeling like the only in that way, or that people are making assumptions about that piece of, of how I present and how and how I live, and also have dealt with a disability over time, too. And there, it, it's interesting, because those elements of, you know, I debate this, but I'm a femme woman, right? And so there's there's sort of a, like an immediate read of that. But those other pieces are for better, for worse, a little bit more hidden and something that I kind of carry around that I try to externalize a little bit more when I can. But I think it gives me a certain, having had those experiences and having those things be part of my identity gives me a little bit more or a lot more sensitivity to where other people are coming from and what their experiences are too and how they're things that you just you see someone and you make immediate assumptions and you always have to dig deeper and really wanting there to be space for people we just miss out so much misty when when we don't do a good job of structuring our organizations so that people who are coming from various different places in their lives can participate. I mean, it just, it's, it's like from a like hard-nosed economic standpoint, right? There's just lots of ideas, productivity, ability to contribute to American innovation and to the strength of teams and to, to who we are within the business community. I love hearing you talk about and own your identity so clearly. And I know for our organization, we've struggled to get there, right? We have the DEI committee. We're trying to create the space to have these conversations, but it's been hard. Do consulting in this space? Like, how do you, do you just help your organization? Talk us a little bit through uh, the, the trends that you've seen and, and the organizations that are doing it well, how they're changing their culture from the inside out. Yeah more of a of an in-house advocate for it. I've done a number of workshops and you know I've started to do more more speaking engagements on it and feel really fortunate to be able to join those conversations. I think to the question of who's doing it well, you know, I think it's there are many large organizations that I've encountered that actually are doing a pretty great job. And I, I feel like because GAF, the, the roofing and waterproofing manufacturer, 
is a larger company and has a larger set of constituents that they're trying to serve and realizing how it's important for their business. I do think that there's kind of added impetus for for the work to be done there. I think it was at Microsoft, somebody was describing the other day about how, you know, they created these TED Talk videos on inclusion and diversity, circulated them and had sort of kind of this whole curriculum. And because they have the broader base of people working, there are tens of thousands of people, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of people, depending upon the organization. They also have the resources to be able to do these things and, and to recognize that the importance of the growth of the business and the relevance of the business and yeah, it just, it's interesting to me. You'd think that it would exist more in like the innovative startups, right? But usually those companies are trying so hard just to simply be relevant and hit their next fundraising round, or they're so focused on proof of concept for their core business. I think the smart ones do incorporate DEI into what they're doing and recognize that that can be a real competitive advantage. But I think oftentimes it's surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly, the larger corporations are the ones who are really kind of moving in this direction because it matters for the success of their business. Absolutely. And even doing engagements like this, right, you're using your voice to be a model and a mentor to other people, which I think is, you know, you're making a difference in your corner of the world. Tell me about you um, as a leader. Do you have a team that follows you and looks up to you? And, and have you maybe even tell me some stories about how you feel like, you know, you're making a difference just by speaking up and speaking out? Yeah, I don't always like to admit this more publicly, but I do have a team. And at this point, we're mostly women. We have one man on the team. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's and, pretty normal um, in these spaces, actually, from a marketing and a you know communication true. standpoint. That's true. Yeah. Not so typical in our company in general. <laughs> that was not an, an intentional thing, right? Again, speaking kind of like the, our leadership team, it was just the, the people who were best qualified for the job and could do the work. Right. But I do think it creates a bit of a unique environment to have certain conversations and to be able to to model female leadership and encourage female leadership. I have started to participate in more mentoring as I move into kind of the, the midpoint of, of my career um, and have been taking on younger, more entry level female employees across sectors, right? Engineer, I'd like to actually end up talking to a lot of more technical people. We dive into like the politics of business, the kind of fundamentals of of management and those kinds of things. You know, I, I have started to get more involved with women in clean tech and sustainability. They're an incredible organization that has been around, I think, a decade or longer before sustainability was more directly in the in the mainstream. And they're just a wonderful, colorful, welcoming group of people who really understand how important it is to to have women speaking and leading and in the center of the conversation. So did a talk with them last year and I'm, I'm starting to volunteer with them this year. And I just am so grateful to have that space and to have a place where we can just wave our, wave our women flag and, and cheer each other on. I love it when we find spaces that intersect sort of our industry focus, but also our personal passions. And it sounds like you found some of those. I'm curious in those conversations, whether it's in your leadership and management of your team or networking, as you talked about, I want to talk a little bit about the concepts of work-life balance. 
I'm always the first to admit that I'm not sure that's a thing. I think that you kind of have to be fully in wherever you are, especially the strong female leaders that I've talked to this season. We've dived into the topic around fulfilling our goals and focusing on achievement, which is probably core to all of us at some level because it's in our bones, right? To want to work and to do great things while at the same time balancing that with like what personally fulfills us. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what that's looked like for your career and your life. I think for me, continuing to weave in diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as mindfulness into my daily work really helps with that balance. They're just, on the one hand, within the DEI arena, they're just such important conversations for the performance of our organizations, but then also for how we build kind of like a just, equitable society in general and support people going from kind of that macro level support people on the individual level and make them feel celebrated and heard and you know support their growth and then on the other you know the other hand this this mindfulness thread i started meditating more in earnest about 18 years ago and have found you know the cultivation of that kind of awareness to be really helpful in reminding me what's important and to finding pause and rest during, even in the middle of a hectic day. And again, similar to kind of like, there's an interesting like parallel, right? Like similar to DEI, it's stuff that sounds like it's maybe a nice to have or kind of like fringe or things that that aren't as central to conversations, but ultimately I think are really vital and help us go farther and have more vitality interpersonally, but then also individually within ourselves. Absolutely. I love that philosophy so much. We probably don't call it mindfulness here, but we've invested heavily in mindsets, positive thinking and, you know, coaching and that sort of thing. And it really does. It brings a calmness and an awareness, so much confidence to our leaders. Uh, So it sounds like you practice that in your own unique way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really, it's a very powerful way in, you know, to then go out. (laughs) Yes. Well, before I pivot and talk a little bit about you as a, as a leader, any other insights you want to share about GIF energy, just about things that you're working on, you know, trends, things you're excited about? I think it's a super exciting moment for clean energy in the U.S. with the passage of the bipartisan infrastructure bill and then the Inflation Reduction Act. I think there's a lot of hope and optimism around our ability to continue to build a strong manufacturing base here to be able to supply the increased demand that we have. And it's it's really, it's, it's so, I, I feel grateful to be part of a large manufacturing organization in this moment and to kind of be working to move it in this direction as clean energy and solar become more important and central to the way that we power our lives. It's, it's, it's like a front row seat at a, you know, major industrial transformation. So from a very brass tacks perspective, what are the two or three biggest priorities you have for this year in your role? So for this year, we had a lot of success. Uh, we announced our product last year, the Nellable Solar Shingle, you know, had got, earned over 30 product awards, good housekeeping, the Consumer Technology Association, you know, we won Best of Innovation at the Consumer Electronics Show in 2022, Time, one of Time's Best Inventions. 2022, those kinds of things, right? So continuing that degree of of attention and continuing to tell the story and to make sure that both consumers and and roofers alike are aware of our product and 
want to put it on their home or want to add it into their business. I think so that's number one, kind of like continuing to beat the press drum and push our media agenda. And then number two is really, you know, related to that, but getting the roofers who are in our program to really wholesale embrace solar and and solar roofing as part of their normal business practice. And so every time they're at the kitchen table, offering a solar roof as an option to that homeowner who's replacing their roof. And then I think the third thing is really looking at, you know, how do we build the business for scale, right? That we, we've we seen incredibly rapid growth. You know, when I started, we had, we were 12 people in a WeWork around one table, and now we're almost 400 employees, right? Operating in 16 states. And so we really have to think about how we have the right foundation to be able to hit our ambitions. And our vision is energy from every roof. So to get from here to there, we have to make sure that that we're making, making the right decisions and on software, on operations, on sales, on marketing within our services team, all of those pieces. The marketing communications girl in me is geeking out right now because those are fantastic goals and it's got to be such a fun job. And it sounds like you're really passionate about selling the brand too. It's something that you feel emotionally connected to, which is awesome. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. I could definitely dig in further, but I want to switch to you. We've covered a lot of ground today, you know, what it's like to work as a female leader in these industries, things that are personally passionate to you. What are some of your core beliefs or leadership philosophies that you've gained through the years that you would like to pass on to others? I think my main belief is one of servant leadership um, when it comes to the, the way that I that I think about leading, right? That it's, there's a great quote about a bad leader. They said, the, the people say we did it despite the person. A good leader, people say we did it because of the leader. And then a great leader, the people say we did it ourselves. So I think it's, for me, it's very much about empowering my team, working to empower the people around me, really tuning in to what they need and how they can best perform and how I can break down obstacles in the path or build relationships so we can go farther. I love that quote. We did it ourselves. That's so cool. I'm going to have to keep that in mind. Tell me about some of your accomplishments. What are some things when you look back at your career, you're just like, I'm really proud of that thing we did. I mean, most recently, it's definitely the launch of Timberline Solar last year and all of the accolades we've earned and the media reach, you know, the pieces in Bloomberg and Washington Post and just having such a compelling story to tell and seeing that kind of meet the moment and get the attention that you know, I think we were all hoping that we would get, but you never really know until you show up and you say, here's the product, here are all the pieces that make it great. And to me, met with the response of, oh yeah, wow, that really is great. It's <laughs> um, amazing. Tangible ways. That's more an external thing. I think when I reflect back on my career, some of the things that I, that I hold dearest and kind of proudest of are, are supporting other people in their growth and helping them, you know, move to new positions. Or even if it means like leaving my team or going to a different opportunity, right? That I have had several people who I've managed and kind of mentored who have helped them maneuver into new organizations, new positions, or a new opportunity on my existing team. And I, I really, for me, that is just, it's so, it's so satisfying and exciting to feel like 
I can be a facilitator of, of somebody's step into a more authentic role or more responsibility and be with them on that journey and feel like I can be an advocate and ally for them within that. I love that answer because I think I would probably say the same. You just have these moments in your career where you're just sitting one-on-one with, you know, maybe another female leader where you feel like you're not only helping them maneuver, you mentioned the politics or the managerial strategies, but with life. I can't tell you how many women have come and sat down in my chair and said, I'm having a baby, you know, or I'm getting married and like some of these major life moments. And those are the things that I will never forget. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to bring those into the conversation in a way that there's not fear, there's celebration, right? Of like the whole person. Absolutely. What about any failures? I always struggle with this question because I take everything as a learning, but was there any moments in your career where you look back and think, gosh, we really screwed that up and, and I took some lessons away from it? Yeah, I mean, I think going back to that that first marketing role that I had within the solar industry, you know, really there there were some things that I was able to accomplish. And I, I love your phrasing of, you know, it's all learning. You know, I think at the time it, it felt particularly painful or it felt like... Sure, I didn't know what you were doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If I could just have these skills right now, that would be great. But I don't and I need to learn them and I need to get there. And I think also at the time, I didn't have as much of a growth mindset. I think I was a little bit more in a fixed mindset place. Speaking of, of mindsets, and it sounds like you something that you approach and talk about within your company. And so I think if I had had the sense of like, I don't know what I'm doing and been able to add yet, on the end of that, it would have made a tremendous difference, right? And when I think back on like the failures or the learnings in my career, applying that lens and having that kind of attitude really would have made a very big difference. And I think I got there later, but in the time, you know, like, oh, that's what I learned there. Okay, I got it. Like now I know this and I'm going to apply this to future problems and opportunities. But in the moment that kind of like, I'm messing this up or I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what the path I should be taking is like that yet, right? That like, I, I will know, I can figure this out, but I have to grow into it and I have to do some work to get there. I think that would have made a significant difference at the time. And the mindset that failure is required, right? Like we have to, to learn. So I love that. If you're trying, you're going to fail. What is it that there's that Michael Jordan quote of like, I only succeeded because I failed so many times and talking about the number of shots you missed or something, you know? Absolutely. We'll get back to the rest of the interview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Symantle. I happen to know a thing or two about them because I'm one of the owners. Symantle is an industrial consumer marketing firm with an obsessive focus on customer experience. We not only execute killer marketing campaigns, but we help organizations align around goals, audiences, messages, channels, and tactics to create more than campaigns, but programs that align to business strategies. Symantle has 40 years experience crafting positive, engaging customer experiences at every point in the consumer journey. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, head to symantle.com slash blog for more content. You'll find articles, tips and tricks, do-it-yourself tools, webinars, and more to help you keep learning and growing right along with us. All right, then one more question for you. We're going to land here. I ask every interviewee, what's something that you're struggling with right now that you'd love some help solving? A question for another. I love this question so much. I think the thing that I'm that I'm struggling with most right now is sort of 
five to 10 year planning and kind of how I, I feel like I'm in a place where I've been working really hard to get to, to this level and to be in this role. And I, and I don't, if I'm honest with myself, I don't always know where to go from here. Right. I don't have a really like, and that's a vulnerable thing to admit. I would love, especially being an executive. How do you, how do you continue to build your career or move laterally or like embrace a slightly different path or continue to, to be effective or more effective in what you're doing? How do you kind of move beyond a plateau or when you get to your destination as far as your title and responsibility? Where do you go from there? Absolutely. <laughs> you look down oh my the horizon gosh. from there. You and I are going to have to connect offline because I became a business owner in my early 30s and I felt the same. I, you know, it wasn't even something I was striving for, but I found myself at the top of this ladder that I didn't even know was a ladder. And then I'm just like, I still have other passions. I want to grow outwardly, you know? And so I ended up starting like a, a little consulting business. But yeah, it's the constant question, I think, for achievement seekers is <laughs> what more good can I do in the world? Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely. a great question. I yeah. love it. All right. Well, you have been such a good interview. I'm so glad that we crossed paths and I got to know you a little bit. Thank you for doing Marketing Sweats. And I can't wait to share your episode. This was so much fun. Misty, thank you so much for having me. And it, it's hugely beneficial to reflect on these questions. We don't often have an opportunity <laughs> to do so. So thank you so much. I and I, I, it, It's just incredibly valuable. And your work of elevating women's voices and being able to help us tell our stories is just so powerful. So thank you so, oh, so much. Thank you so much. I had fun too. We'll definitely connect offline. So keep in touch. Okay. I look All forward right. to that. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. I'm so proud to bring you episodes this season from the hardworking women in leadership and decision-making roles getting it done at Heavy Industry Brands. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget you can check out more episodes of the podcast at our marketingsweats.com website or find us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. That's a wrap for today. Keep up the good work, friends, and we'll chat again soon. 